Chapter Four of the Sad Fortunes of the Reverend Amos Barton from Scenes of Clerical Life by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Four. I am by no means sure that if the good people of Milby had known the truth about the Countess Czerlaski, they would not have been considerably disappointed to find that it was very far from being as bad as they imagined nice distinctions are troublesome it is so much easier to say that a thing is black than to discriminate the particular shade of brown blue or green to which it really belongs it is so much easier to make up your mind that your neighbour is good for nothing than to enter into all the circumstances that would oblige you to modify that opinion besides think of all the virtuous declamation all the penetrating observation which had been built up entirely on the fundamental position that the countess was a very objectionable person indeed and which would be utterly overturned and nullified by the destruction of that premise mrs phipps the banker's wife and mrs lander the attorney's wife had invested part of their reputation for acuteness in the supposition that mr bridmain was not the countess's brother moreover miss phipps was conscious that if the countess was not a disreputable person she miss phipps had no compensating superiority in virtue to set against the other lady's manifest superiority in personal charms miss phipps stumpy figure and unsuccessful attire instead of looking down from a mount of virtue with an aureole round its head would then be seen on the same level and in the same light as the countess czerlaski's diana-like form and well-chosen drapery miss phipps for her part didn't like dressing for effect she had always avoided that style of appearance which was calculated to create a sensation then what amusing innuendos of the milby gentlemen over their wine would have been entirely frustrated and reduced to naught if you had told them that the countess had really been guilty of no misdemeanours which demanded her exclusion from strictly respectable society that her husband had been the veritable count czerlaski who had had wonderful escapes as she said and who as she did not say but as was said in certain circulars once folded by her fair hands had subsequently given dancing lessons in the metropolis that mr bridmain was neither more nor less than her half-brother who by unimpeached integrity and industry had won a partnership in a silk manufactory and thereby a moderate fortune that enabled him to retire as you see to study politics the weather and the art of conversation at his leisure mr bridmain in fact quadragenarian bachelor as he was felt extremely well pleased to receive his sister in her widowhood and to shine in the reflected light of her beauty and title every man who is not a monster a mathematician or a mad philosopher is the slave of some woman or other mr bridmain had put his neck under the yoke of his handsome sister and though his soul was a very little one of the smallest description indeed he would not have ventured to call it his own he might be slightly recalcitrant now and then as is the habit of long-eared pachyderms under the thong of the fair countess's tongue 
but there seemed little probability that he would ever get his neck loose still a bachelor's heart is an outlying fortress that some fair enemy may any day take either by storm or stratagem and there was always the possibility that mr bridmain's first nuptials might occur before the countess was quite sure of her second as it was however he submitted to all his sister's caprices never grumbled because her dress and her maid formed a considerable item beyond her own little income of sixty pounds per annum and consented to lead with her a migratory life as personages on the debatable ground between aristocracy and commonality instead of settling in some spot where his five hundred a year might have won him the definite dignity of a parochial magnate the countess had her views in choosing a quiet provincial place like milby after three years of widowhood she had brought her feelings to contemplate giving a successor to her lamented Cherlaski, whose fine whiskers fine air and romantic fortunes had won her heart ten years ago when as pretty caroline bridmain in the full bloom of five-and-twenty she was governess to lady porter's daughters whom he initiated into the mysteries of the pas de bas and the lancers quadrilles she had had seven years of sufficiently happy matrimony with Cherlaski, who had taken her to paris and germany and introduced her there to many of his old friends with large titles and small fortunes so that the fair caroline had had considerable experience of life and had gathered therefrom not indeed any very ripe and comprehensive wisdom but much external polish and certain practical conclusions of a very decided kind one of these conclusions was that there were things more solid in life than fine whiskers and a title and that in accepting a second husband she would regard these items as quite subordinate to a carriage and a settlement now she had ascertained by tentative residences that the kind of bite she was angling for was difficult to be met with at watering-places which were already preoccupied with abundance of angling beauties and were chiefly stocked with men whose whiskers might be dyed and whose incomes were still more problematic so she had determined on trying a neighbourhood where people were extremely well acquainted with each other's affairs and where the women were mostly ill-dressed and ugly mr bridmain's slow brain had adopted his sister's views and it seemed to him that a woman so handsome and distinguished as the countess must certainly make a match that might lift himself into the region of county celebrities and give him at least a sort of cousinship to the quarter sessions all this which was the simple truth would have seemed extremely flat to the gossips of milby who had made up their minds to something much more exciting there was nothing here so very detestable it is true the countess was a little vain a little ambitious a little selfish a little shallow and frivolous a little given to white lies but who considers such slight blemishes such moral pimples as these disqualifications for entering into the most respectable society indeed the severest ladies in milby would have been perfectly aware that these characteristics would have created no wide distinction between the countess czerlaski and themselves 
and, since it was clear there was a wide distinction, why, it must lie in the possession of some vices from which they were undeniably free. Hence it came to pass that Milby respectability refused to recognize the Countess Czerlaski, in spite of her assiduous church-going, and the deep disgust she was known to have expressed at the extreme paucity of the congregations on Ash Wednesdays. So she began to feel that she had miscalculated the advantages of a neighborhood where people are well acquainted with each other's private affairs. Under these circumstances you will imagine how welcome was the perfect credence and admiration she met with from Mr. and Mrs. Barton. She had been especially irritated by Mr. Ely's behavior to her. She felt sure that he was not in the least struck with her beauty, that he quizzed her conversation, and that he spoke of her with a sneer. A woman always knows where she is utterly powerless, and shuns a coldly satirical eye as she would shun a gorgon. And she was especially eager for clerical notice and friendship, not merely because that is quite the most respectable countenance to be obtained in society, but because she really cared about religious matters, and had an uneasy sense that she was not altogether safe in that quarter. She had serious intentions of becoming quite pious without any reserves, when she had once got her carriage and settlement. Let us do this one sly trick, says Ulysses to Neoptolemus, and we will be perfectly honest ever after. Al edju gartoi kathema tes uikis labientolma dikeoi de authes ekphanumetha. The countess did not quote Sophocles, but she said to herself, only this little bit of pretense and vanity, and then I will be quite good, and make myself quite safe for another world. And as she had by no means such fine taste and insight in theological teaching as in costume, the Reverend Amos Barton seemed to her a man not only of learning, that is always understood with a clergyman, but of much power as a spiritual director. As for Milly, the Countess really loved her, as well as the preoccupied state of her affections would allow, for you have already perceived that there was one being to whom the Countess was absorbingly devoted, and to whose desires she made everything else subservient, namely Caroline Czerlaski, nay Bridmain. Thus there was really not much affectation in her sweet speeches and attentions to Mr. and Mrs. Barton. Still, their friendship by no means adequately represented the object she had in view when she came to Milby, and it had been for some time clear to her that she must suggest a new change of residence to her brother. The thing we look forward to often comes to pass, but never precisely in the way we have imagined to ourselves. The Countess did actually leave Camp Villa before many months were passed, but under circumstances which had not at all entered into her contemplation. End of chapter 4 of The Sad Fortunes of the Reverend Amos Barton